this trip to Garden Grove Smell like a loo dog inside the van Oh yeah This ain't no funky reggae party Five dollars at the door It gets so real sometimes Who wrote my rhyme? I've got the microwave Yo, 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 what is going on, Devil fans? Welcome to the Trap Podcast. It is good to be back with you guys talking some devil's hockey with a new episode of the Trap. What's going on, guys? My name is Bill Botch, and welcome to the Trap Podcast. It's been a long time. It's been like two weeks. I talked to you about a week ago going into Memorial Day. Um, we had we had the pickle on the show. And we talked about some uh, potential restricted free agents, unrestricted free agents, what we thought that they would do. But today we're going to really dive into the forward lineup going into next season and what their contracts might look like. Um, it's been lonely without Devils Hockey. It has. But the good thing is um, we don't have to wait as long this year as we do for next season to arrive. So before you know it, the Stanley Cup Finals will be over, which congratulations to the Florida Panthers and the Vegas Golden Knights. I have like a real dilemma. Like I didn't know who I wanted to win the Eastern Conference Finals. I never really got over the Florida Panthers kind of taking runs at Nico Heischer during their season series this year after the Barkov incident, uh, which was clearly accidental and not a dirty play. Uh, Matthew, Matthew Kachuk, while he's played amazing in the playoffs, he obviously rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And, uh, he, he's a hard guy to root for, for me. He's really good, but I, I just, he could be difficult to root for. On the other side, you had the Carolina Hurricanes who obviously are the ones that knocked the devils out. So it was kind of hard to root for them. I also think that their playing style is so boring. It was actually funny to see the the interview after the game with uh, Rod Brindamore, where he was kind of in denial about what had happened during the series. We didn't really lose the series. We didn't really play that bad. Well, yeah, you kind of did. And uh, I'm sure it's got to be very hard for a team that had very high expectations coming into the season, a team that plays a system that is clearly built for the playoffs. But it happens. And, it, you know... One of the things that Paul Maurice talked about before the year started, he took over a team that had won the President's Trophy the year before, and he talked about changing up the way that they play their game. And uh, part of it was sometimes you have to give up control of the puck. It was a team that liked to play off the rush, play fast, very similar to the Devils. And sometimes you have to give up the puck and get it into the corner or dump it in and then go back and win win a battle, and get the puck back. And sometimes simplifying your game like that, and once you learn how to do that correctly, it translates really well to the playoffs. So obviously, Florida had a tough time just sneaking into the playoffs this year. They did not have the regular season that they had last year, but you can tell that their game was really suited for a playoff-type run with the forecheck that they have with their compete level, their board battles, scrappiness in front of the net, willingness to block pucks. Um, and I think that that came directly from the top down, from Paul Maurice, and 
um, good for him. I mean, that's what Florida was really looking for when they got rid of Andrew Burnett and uh, took some criticism for it after such an amazing regular season, but they knew that they needed someone that was going to take them to the next level. And Paul Maurice has really looked like he's whipped this team into shape. Everyone is bought in and they're on the same page. Now they're going to play the Vegas Golden Knights, who I'm also not a fan of. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't like the way they manage the team, to be honest with you. I think it's just so over the top all the time. It's very Las Vegas like, but either way, uh, that series Stanley cup will be awarded before you know it. And then we'll be talking about draft and we'll be talking about schedule release. And we'll be talking about unrestricted and restricted free agents and all the moves that go on in the off season, which the devils have really built their team around these moves that have happened in the off season. So I figured this might be a good time to go over some of these decisions that we're going to have to make going into next season, going into the summer, that's going to set the team up to see what their roster will look like as they begin the 23, 24 season, which is going to, it's going to be a much different looking team. And I would not be surprised if the devils, while many players will be taking another step forward after their amazing seasons, there's going to be some roster spots where you're going to have some veteran presence that is no longer going to be here. Um, and you're going to have some younger, unexperienced rookies, especially on your back end between Luke Hughes and if Nemitz makes the team, that are going to be plugged in. You still have Kevin Ball, who's only 22 years old. He hasn't played a ton of games. He's looked really good down the stretch, but there's going to be a lot of inexperience on your back end. Akira Schmidt is still in my opinion, uh, an unknown. I need to see a little bit larger of a sample size before I can confidently say that he's going to be the franchise goaltender of the future. I don't see why he couldn't be. I like the way, I like everything about his game. But there's a lot of variables going into next season. And our forward group, um, I think Tom Fitzgerald has a lot of tough decisions to make. I think as Devil fans, we've thought about pretty much all of them. And we all have our stance on who belongs where, who they should sign, what kind of money they should be giving each player. And I'm going to give you my, my stance on where I think everyone belongs and what I see our roster uh, construction looking like going into uh, next season. One of the things that happened today, which was pretty cool, is we got a new um, logo for the podcast. So um, the trap was using the old um, Statue of Liberty wearing the devil's jersey with the, with the number one devil's finger on, which is awesome. And that was um, the devils used to have these game day posters. And depending on who they were playing, they would have some sort of clever poster done which I really would love to see them do uh, in the future. I thought that they were, they were great. Um, you saw what the Florida Panthers were doing throughout the playoffs where they were coming up with game day posters and they all look so good. Uh, they had the one with the devil where he was kind of had his hand coming up out of the, out of the, uh, the flood and all the stuff that the Panthers were doing as far as their game day posters were great. I would like to, I would like to encourage the devil to do some more of that because those are kind of fun and, uh, it's a good, it's a good piece to bring home and kind of hang on the wall that could 
remind you of an amazing game. I mean, wouldn't it have been amazing to have a game day poster from game seven versus the Rangers this year, like, or, um, you know, the game versus Vegas this year, or the game where the devil where Severson scored an overtime versus the Rangers this year. It would have been really cool to have a piece of artwork, something original to be able to maybe hang up on your wall or for a kid to bring home or something like that. You know, a lot of the bands that I go and see for every show, they'll have like a, a new show poster and people collect them and it's fun and you don't have to break the bank for it either. You know, you do a limited run of them, but that would be kind of cool for to see the devils bring that back. But the point is I didn't get to, I didn't own that image and people have known about it for a long time. And I saw other people using it and I thought to myself, you know, all right, it's about time that I get my own, I get my own graphic that, um, you know, says the trap on it and, I got to find somebody cool to do it. And uh, the first person I thought it was my brother, actually. Uh, so the big tickle, he's actually, he's really nice with it. And he, I was a DJ for a long time. He used to do all of my posters and everything. He's, he's really nice with it. But uh, I really like the work of Athlete Logos. So I reached out to them and he does a bunch of the work for the New York Mets. And he did the uh, Dougie Doesn't Miss graphic and, he does a ton of awesome stuff. So I reached out to him and we started talking and we had a good dialogue and he was able to put together, he, he basically asked me what kind of I, you know, what'd you have in mind? So I, I picked him a, a picture of Scott Stevens holding the Stanley Cup. Scott Stevens is my favorite player growing up and those are the glory days of the Devils and that's where I see the Devils going in the, in the future. I think that they could have the same type of run with the core players that they have to build around uh, in the future. But so I gave him the picture of Scott Stevens and he came up with this cool graphic and it was kind of cool to release it to the world this afternoon. All right. So with that said, let's get into the devil's roster. Okay. So, one of the things that I really noticed with the Devils last year that they have to fix going into this year was a third line. The Devils played without a third line for majority of the season, and it was a gaping hole in their offense, and it often left them susceptible to... Um, it would kill their momentum. There would be easy goals scored against them. They, drew they, they took too many penalties with the third line, and sometimes the third line was completely unplayable. So originally, and then when they got Timo Meyer, they moved Timo Meyer to the third line, and the third line looked pretty good. Then they put, then they had Meyer, and they played Halla. But originally, I mean, it was unplayable, and it was because you had um, you had Jesper Boquist, you had Alex Holtz. You had Yegor Sharangovich, and they didn't have real, they didn't have players that could really hold it down and drive a line. Um, it, it just got really sloppy. And they ended up moving Halla played on Jack's wing. Then he ended up going down on the third line. Then they brought him Jack, back to Jack's wing. So, what we have to do, one of the pieces that I think that we have to take care of is putting together a solid third line. And one of the ways that we can do that, and I think is going to be one of the most important 
decisions. And one of the most important things that, that happens to the Devils this year that I'm really curious to see how it plays out is the progression of Alexander Holtz. We all know what Holtz is capable of. We all know what Holtz's shot looks like. We all know how he was regarded around the world prior to being drafted by the Devils. He came out and he definitely was not able to keep up with speed. This is two years ago. So he's now 21 years old. Um, he was drafted seventh overall in 2020. And he, he played 10 games with the Binghamton Devils in 2020-2021 with one goal. And then in 2021-22, he played in 52 games and had 26 goals and 25 assists for 51 points. He looked really good. And everybody thought that Hulse is going to make the team for the 22-23 season. One of the things that he needed to work on was his skating. So he went, skated, practiced with Jesper Bratt in the offseason, and really tried to make it a point to become a better skater. I thought that Holtz had a really great camp. He looked amazing in camp. They played him on a line, the H2O line, with Hughes and Andre Palat. And it was a really interesting dynamic between Palat being a guy that could do a lot of the heavy lifting for those two, a guy that plays the physicality along the boards and can do a lot of the dirty work for them. And then you had Hughes that was obviously using his speed to open up the ice. And then you had Holtz who was able to try to take advantage of some of the open ice that Hughes would create and allow him to use that shot. And I thought that they looked really good. And going into the season, I had very high expectations for Alex Holtz. You know, the, the season opener, the horrible loss versus Philadelphia, Holtz actually was on the board. He scored and it looked like you know, here are the devils that we might have a winger with a really insane shot that can slot into our top six. But it wasn't long after that, that Holtz ended up getting yanked by Lindy Ruff and basically got yo-yoed up and down the lineup and really wasted a complete year of development by sitting as a healthy scratch, watching most of the games for the devils. He only played in 14 games for the Utica Comets. And let me pull it up. And he played in 19 games for the Devils. So he played in 33 games the entire year. I think they really mismanaged him. And one of the things that they did with him was they continued to play him on the third line. And then sometimes even the fourth line. I mean, that's not where he belongs. Like his game is about opening up and using the shot coming off of the rush. And they're putting him in a position where they want him to play heavy on the forecheck or they want him to play really good, responsible defensively. There were plenty of times while he was playing on the third or fourth line playing for the Devils, that he did look completely out of place and he looked lost, especially in his defensive zone. That's something that he does need to work on. He needs to be responsible if you're going to give him a roster spot, especially on a team that's going to be trying to contend. But I don't think that the Devils did him any favors by you should have at least sent him to Utica and let him continue to thrive in Utica because when he plays in a top six role at the top line in Utica, he seems to be 
one of the best players on the ice every night. So he has this weird situation where he's literally too good to play in Utica, but he's not good enough to make it into our onto the Devils, and the only place that he could really play is in the top six. So if you put him on the third line, unless you play him with players who are very solid players, and there's a couple ways that you can do it. One of them would be to move Andre Palat down to the third line, put Hall on the third, centering the third line, and you could put Holtz on their wing. But the problem is, as soon as as soon as Jack Hughes is not have is not going, or as soon as Holtz is not going, then Lindy Ruff has the tendency to move Eric Halla to Jack Hughes's wing. And my problem is they're not giving Holtz enough looks. You have to let the kid play. I mean, if he's the seventh overall pick, right now they just had McKean's prospect list. He's ranked number seven in the entire world for prospects, and the Devils are not giving him an opportunity to play. The team is good enough right now where he's surrounded by good players, and we don't have to rely on him too much. We don't have too much weight on his shoulders. It should be the perfect opportunity to allow him to go out there, and if he makes a couple of mistakes, you can insulate him with solid players. You can insulate him with a room. You know, you don't have to put him in a role where he's on the power play or you know, he's playing on Jack Hughes's wing. Now, obviously, that would be ideal if he could step up and manage that kind of roster spot. But to drop him down to the fourth line or to play him on the third line when you don't have anyone going on those lines and you're playing him with a Sharon Govich or you're playing him with a Boquist, two guys that clearly are not capable of pushing play and driving a line, you're really just setting him up for failure. I think he's too important of a prospect and he's too important to a part of the devil's future and how they're able to slot the rest of their players moving forward to not really give him the ice time that he deserves. I do not think he's as slow as everybody thinks he is. I think when he's behind the play, it's not because of his foot speed. I think it's more between the ears and that's something that you could teach somebody. And he's still only 21 years old. I think there's a, a lot of opportunity left in him. And I'd hate to see the devils ruin him by, continuing to either make him a healthy scratch or just having him down in Utica. If that's the case, you're really, you could get something very valuable for him. You might want to move him. I don't think they do because they were able to, you know, keep him in the trade for Timo Meyer, who you knew that San Jose definitely wanted Holtz. Holtz and William Eklund have very good chemistry from playing from Sweden. And um, the, the devil's, really need to give Alexander Holtz the benefit of the doubt. And the same way that they do with Luke Hughes or the same way that they did with a lot of their players, a guy like Kevin Ball, let the kid let the kid learn from his mistakes. Put him out there. It's like if he's costing you game after game after game, that's one thing. But young players are going to make a lot of mistakes. And I think he's too important of a prospect and he's too skilled of a player to not give him a fighting chance. I think he's really just been in Ruff's doghouse from day one. You see this happen with coaches and players all the time, especially young players. I mean, you saw it happen with Pavel Zaka and John Hines, and it's like it really stunts the development of them, 
And I don't think it's fair to I don't think it's fair to the players, and I don't think it's fair to the team or the fans either, because he really could be a key piece, um, especially if he can get some sort of confidence playing on that third line, or, or if you could somehow, if he comes into camp and has a really strong camp, find a way to play him alongside Heisher or Hughes. You see what Heisher does. Like anybody that plays alongside Heisher always plays above their head. I think he makes everyone around him better. He plays very strong down the middle of the ice. He plays, you know, defensively and makes up for um, younger players who might have defensive deficiencies. So I think a lot of what happens with the Devils roster for next year in their forward group, especially in their middle six, revolve around what kind of camp Holtz has and what kind of leash Lindy Ruff wants to give him going into the season. I think... He needs 20 games minimum in a row playing with, and you know, you see what Ruff does. Ruff changes his lines up, I mean, almost almost daily. Um, and I think if he finds chemistry with someone, they should leave him with him, you know, if it's not 15, 20, 25 games, and give him an opportunity to try to find his spot and and feel comfortable playing in the NHL. I, I think he has the ability, and I think, um, I think he could be. I think he could be a real force moving forward as long as he's given the right chance. So, let's get into it. You get into that third line, and this is where I'm at with the third line. So you have Jesper Boquist, who's a restricted free agent, and according to Evolving Hockey. He's looking at a projected two-year, $1.6 million deal moving forward. Um, you get into his stat card. So Jesper Boquist played in 70 games uh, this year. He played in 56 games last year and 28 games in 2020-21. So he went from having four goals in 2020-21 to 10 goals last year and 10 goals this year. He finished the season with 21 points. Now, you know, Jesper Boquist, to me, going into this season, was dead to me. I did not like the way he played. He was too soft on the puck. He had speed, but he was not willing to get himself dirty. Couldn't get into the dirty areas of the ice. Could not play well defensively. Could not play well against the boards. Could not be used on the penalty kill. And you saw a player who was drafted, you know, in the second round, 36 overall, known for his speed, known for his scoring ability, really realized that I'm going to have to really change my game up if I want a chance to stay in this lineup. And really, if I want a chance to make it, because he's 24 years old, he was on the cusp of kind of becoming an NHL casualty. And you saw the way that he developed his game. Like, he actually took a step forward. He became a much more cerebral player, in my opinion, I think that he started getting his stick in passing lanes and in lanes better. Um, there were plenty of times where he would be on the wrong side of a guy and would be below the puck. And this year it was a little bit different. I think he was, he played with a, he definitely played with more aggression and was harder to play against. And that was one of the things that really pissed me off about him in years prior was not only were you not producing, but you were easy to play against. You were soft. And the Devils had too many soft players, and the Devils just needed to be harder to play against. And this year, he did. He took a step forward. He, I think, he he was willing to 
sacrifice his uh, scoring potential in order to be harder to play against and play well away from the puck. And that was something that was encouraging to see. They even gave him some penalty kill time. Um, I thought he played good when it was the Meyer, Halla, and Boquist line. I thought that they were they were pretty good together. And he was a guy that had a couple games where I was really impressed. Like he he played good in New York during the regular season. He had a really strong game. Um, I remember him. He forced a turnover, I believe, with Truba turned directly into a goal. So I kind of I kind of think that. As you see a guy trending in the right direction, this would not be the time that you would want to give up on him. I think if you, you know, what happens is there's a lot of players that get caught into this. You can only play on the third line. So he's never going to be a top six player. He's definitely not a fourth line player. So you're stuck as a strictly a third line player. And you see this happen with a lot of different guys. And we'll get into Yegor Sharangovich, who I think is, that's exactly what he is too. And, you know, you look at a guy like Halla even, and Halla is a guy who is a third-line guy, but just happens to have a lot of chemistry when he plays alongside Jack Hughes. So, but you're going to have to really be smart about where you spend your money on these third-line players. So the, the, the projected contract is two years, $1.6 million. I think that that seems a little high, in my opinion. Um, I would probably, I expect it to go two years, $1.3 million. The problem is you saw what happened with him in the playoffs. So I think prior to this season, there are teams that are building their roster in order to make it to the playoffs. And then once you make it to the playoffs, you realize the type of player that you need in order to move from round to round to round and stay alive in the playoffs. I'm not sure that Jesper Boquist is the type of guy who's going to be able to make a difference in the playoffs. And you know that you need your middle six and shit, you need your bottom six to play really well when the playoffs roll around. It's going to be heavy. There's a lot less ice, and you're going to be able to need, you're going to have to be able to forecheck, and you're going to have to be able to sacrifice your body and get dirty. He did not play with the intensity that I expected from him, and Ruff, I think, did the right thing with him and Sharon Govich and yanked them both off the ice. I would have preferred to see them go 12 and 6, but um, I think they wanted to get a, a, you know, give Luke Hughes his opportunity. So they went seven and eleven, which is not ideal, but um, that's the one thing that concerns me about Jesper Boquist moving forward. I think that the roster that we're going to try to assemble is going to be strictly for the playoffs at this point um, and under the cap space, and we can't afford to spend money on players who we don't expect to be to be co- competent once the playoffs roll around. I would. I would sign him. I would try to go for a one-year deal, but if not, two years at $1.3 million is where I would stay at. Um, and then, so that's one guy that you would have on your wing for your third line. 
The other guy is Yegor Sharangovich. Now, Sharangovich is a is a kind of a strange situation. Sharangovich could put the puck in the net. And it's hard to score in the NHL. The problem with Sharangovich is if he's not putting the puck in the net, what else is he doing? And everybody says he's good on the penalty kill, and it's like he's okay on the penalty kill. He's not that great. He's not a special teams player. I don't think he's a very smart player. I don't think he has great stick handling ability, great passing ability. He definitely does not have the motor that I expect from a fifth round, 141st overall pick who has an opportunity to play on a team that could be playing for championships moving forward. I was really disappointed with his playoff performances and I was really disappointed with his regular season. So the same way that I'm looking at Boquist, he's progressing. I look at Yegor Sharangovich, and he looks like he's kind of going the other way. So he went from having 16 goals in 54 games in 2021, 2021-22, he had 24 goals. He had 24 goals in 76 games and 46 points. And this year he played in 75 games and he's got 13 goals and 30 points. The problem with Sharon Govich is he can only play alongside, he's only effective when he plays alongside Hughes or a Heischer. And he's not a top six player. Yegor Sharon Govich is never going to be on somebody's team that wins the Stanley Cup playing in the top six. And he is so soft. He does not play hard, he is easy to play against. And to me, as a coach and as a teammate, that is the biggest insult that you can get. When someone says that you're soft, and he is. And you thought that maybe after he had a kid that he was going to maybe have some dad strength and he was going to step his game up a bit. But to me, he is clearly trending in the wrong direction. I don't see the value of him. I think that there's, I mean, his, his contract Three years, $3.6 million is what they're projecting. That is insane to me. And an arbitrator, when they look at him, they're going to say, they're going to compare him to everybody that has scored between 20 and 15 goals. And you're not worth that, dude. Because majority of those players that are in those, that goal range have other aspects to the game that they're good at. So Sharon Govich to me is a trade chip. I am trading Igor Sharon Govich in the offseason. And there'll be somebody that wants him. And he'll play in the top six on a on a you know, on a team that's trying to maybe rebuild or, you know, is trying to get out of the, the basement of the league. But on a team that is trying to start making runs for a Stanley Cup. The only place that you could play this guy is on the third line. And right now, I have Halla at center. Ideally, you would like to have Palat, and then you could play Holtz. You could play Boquist. Or you could play Graham Clark. And Graham Clark is a very interesting 
He's a very interesting prospect for us. So last year, Graham Clark played in 68 games in Utica. He had 25 goals and 33 assists, so he had 58 points. He was a team-leading scorer. His shooting percentage was an 11.8. He's a right winger, and I think that he could be a guy that could be fighting for a spot for this for this season, a third line spot. So if you wanted to move, let's say you moved um, Palat down from playing on Heischer's wing. So this is what I have. I'm just going to read it out. I have Holtz or Palat centered by Nico and then Jesper Bratt on the wing. And then I think you find a way to get Timo Meyer and Jack Hughes playing together. And you could put Mercer on his wing, or you could switch Brat and Mercer. Doesn't matter. But ideally, if you had an Andre Palat, Eric Halla, Alexander Holtz line, you can have two guys doing some real dirty work, two guys that could really coach a younger player on how to become a professional, what to look for, how to find open ice, what it takes to be a pro. And you could have them playing on Holtz's wing. But if not, you can always put you can always put Graham Clark in that spot, or you could put Jesper Boquist. But I think Graham Clark is going to fight for and what you need these younger players to start fighting for roster spots. Because you get into a guy like our next guy who's Thomas Tatar. He's 32 and a half. He ain't getting any younger. And he had a really great season with the Devils. So I am not talking any shit about Thomas Tatar at all. But he's going to be looking for a contract. And Evolving Hockey has him at a three-year, $3.9 million contract. And that's just way out of the Devils wheelhouse. They can't afford that. They don't want to give him that term. Um, I don't think there's a way that you can keep him in the way that we talk about you're trying to create a roster that is going to be built for the playoffs. You've seen it time and time again. Thomas Tatar has been a no-show in the playoffs. And it's a shame because it looks like his game would be translate to the playoffs perfectly. I thought he had an amazing regular season. He obviously had a really rough um, initial season with the Devils last year. It was bad. He had 15 goals, 30 points. This year he came back, he scored 20 goals, and had 48 points. I thought he was great. He played up and down the lineup. He played really well on Nico's wing with Dawson Mercer. I thought he scored a lot of gritty goals, a lot of goals in front of the net. Obviously, people are going to remember that goal that he scored versus the Rangers, Game 7. But he just disappeared when the playoffs rolled around. And um, I just don't think that the devils can afford to keep a 32 year old player for three more years. When you have the kind of prospect pool and you have the young players, they're going to be looking for raises in years coming up. I think he's going to be a guy that you're going to have to try to figure out who you're going to replace him with. And that's going to be very hard because he's, he plays grown man type hockey. And I think, um, you're going to be losing a veteran, uh, a lot of experience from a veteran that quite honestly, I think that, I think that the veterans really 
kind of molded these kids and pushed them to where they were uh, this year. I mean, the guys like Eric Halla, I know Palat was out for a lot of the year, but like Thomas Tatar, Dougie Hamilton being healthy, I think that they kind of propped these kids up on their shoulders. And while the kids did a lot of the, uh, you know, put up a ton of points and looked great, veteran leadership goes a long way. And especially when you go on a little bit of a slide, you go on a losing skid or something like that, or even if you go on a winning skid and you're you're on a you're on a heater, uh, it's like it's kind of good to have guys that have been around to kind of keep you level headed for a little bit. So. The Devils are definitely going to miss Thomas Sitar, um, but let's be real. It's time. Then you get into Eric Halla. I think everybody knows how um, Eric Halla feels about being a Devil. He loves it here. Jack Hughes loves him. I think the Halla family in general is loved by the entire team. He was amazing this season. He really was snake bitten for way too long, about 30% of the year. 40% of the year. He played in 80 games. He ended up with 14 goals and 41 assists. I bet you, I bet you like 10 or 11 of those goals came in the last 20 goals of the uh, 20 games of the season. His shooting percentage was at 8.5, which was incredibly low for him coming off of almost the 13 the previous year versus the Bruins. Um, he had a 13 in the year that he played with the Hurricanes and the Panthers. So, I mean, I expect him to, so Evolving Hockey has him with a three-year, $4 million contract. I think just the way that he has um, opened himself up and been honest about wanting to stay here and about New Jersey being his family and not wanting to move, being that he has bounced around quite a bit. I mean, he's played for... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams now. I thought he was an amazing leader, and um, you saw what he did when the playoffs rolled around. I mean, if, you know, Akira Schmid was the MVP of the Rangers series, Eric Halla was right behind him. I mean, Eric Halla was amazing, and you saw it as the Devils came down the stretch in March he finally started, puck started going in for him, and you could tell he was just getting ready for the playoffs, and he played amazing in the playoffs. He's a guy that really, I think, Jack loves playing with. He can win face-offs. He can score goals in front of the net. He's amazing on the penalty kill. He's just an all-around really good hockey player, plays the game the right way, doesn't cheat anybody in the game, doesn't cheat himself, doesn't cheat the game. <coughs> you really can't have enough players like that. So I think he's going to end up sticking around, obviously. And I'm assuming that he's going to get, I think that he's going to get a hometown discount. And I think the Devils can get him for three years for maybe, let's say, $3.3 or $3.25 million. Maybe $3.5. I would probably prefer a two-year deal. Um. The less term, to me, the better. So I would probably do a two-year deal, and you could pay him $3.3 million. And I want him playing third-line center. I don't want him playing on Jack's wing. And that's something that I think that the Devils are going to have to figure out during training camp on who's going to be playing on Jack's wing that 
is deserves to be there. Like it's going to be, it's going to be Meyer. It's going to be, you know, Brat. It's going to be Mercer. It's going to be a Holt. It's got to be one of those guys. I think Palat even belongs on the third line. All right, let's get into our favorite restricted free agent. Well, maybe not our favorite, but who people like to talk about quite a bit. It's our boy, Jesper Brett. What What would you say you do here? Nah, I'm only kidding. Jesper Brett has been an amazing devil, and he's been an amazing story for the Devils. Obviously, getting picked, you know, in the sixth round, 162nd overall, he has really, I think, formed a bond with Nico Heischer, um, and he used to be Pavel Zaka. He put up, so he went from scoring 30 points a season. So from 2017 to 2021, he scored 30 points a season, 35, 33, 32, and 30. Then last year, he scored 73 points in 76 games. <coughs> Excuse me. 26 goals, 47 assists. This year, 32 goals, 41 assists, 73 points. The same exact thing. He played in six more games. This was a prove-it deal. He was making $5.5 million for one year. It went down to the last second before it went to an arbitrator. And you know what happens when they go to the arbitrator. Basically, the team is now telling the arb, you know, is trying to explain why their player does not deserve to be played the kind of money that he thinks he is. That never ends well for the player in the team. It's a it's a bad breakup. So Brett basically does not overperform, um, but he doesn't underperform either. And what I think this does is it lends itself to Tom Fitzgerald. And Tom Fitzgerald says, okay, can we all agree then? You're the player that we thought you were. Um, you have the framework for the deal that we had presented to you last year. This is what you're worth to us. You could sign the deal or you could walk away from it and we'll trade your rights. And I think that that's where they're at and that's where they stand. And I think that's a really good position for the Devils to be in. Um, and I think Jesper Bratt at this point even knows, you know what, I think that's fair and this is what we're going to do. Now, I don't think that they're going to give him max term. And I like that because you saw the way that Bratt played in the playoffs this year. And I'm not saying that he was awful, but he didn't play great. One of the things he needs to do is he needs to shoot the puck. He, he tries to be a playmaker too much, which is good in certain times, but at some point you have to let the puck go. Get him on net. And I think in the playoffs you have to simplify your game a bit. He tried to get a little too cute with some of his stuff, and he, it, it cost the Devils a little bit. And I, and I think he was getting frustrated um, I think there was a lot of board battles that went on that he was not so super strong against. I thought he got tossed around a little bit. Um, his game is obviously about carrying the puck and staying to the outside. I think everybody knows that, but you have to cut to the middle at some point. You have to drive to the net. Lindy Ruff called him out on it. Um, he's somebody that the Devils definitely is a core piece of the team. But I think it's one of these things to where if he decided 
that, you know what, you know, because the negotiations with him and his camp have been brutal to say the least. And it's kind of, you know, stuck in the craw of some of the fans and I think the team as well. And I think it's at the point where, you know, you're a grown man, dude. Like the contract is up to you. Your agent works for you. If you want to sign a deal with the team, you go and sign it. Do you think Eric Hall is letting his agent decide what his contract is? No. Like at some point, it's if you want to be here, fine. If you're going to fight us over $500,000 for the next, you know, eight years, which is what it might have been last year, then you could take a hike. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that everything is already set in place. I think both sides feel very lovey-dovey right now, and they look like they've hashed out all of the bad blood from the previous two negotiations. And I think that puts the Devils and Jesper Bratz camp both in a better place just mentally going into this, going into the offseason. You see he's been on vacation with his, with his girl, and I think he's getting ready for the next chapter of his professional career, and that's going to be him signing his first long-term contract with the team. And I don't think that they're going to give him eight years. You look at Evolving Hockey, they have him at five years, $6.8 million, and I think that is pretty much spot on. I think that it's going to be between, it's going to be five years, which is what I said in the previous episode that we did, and I think it's going to be between six point five and $7 million over five years. And to be honest with you, I love it. I love the contract. He will be 29 when the contract's over, and he'll have an opportunity to go try to cash in somewhere else. He could possibly stay if he wants to, but it uh, it kind of gives the Devils a little bit of breathing room to get out of a contract where in a couple of years you're going to have Nemitz that's going to get paid, you're going to have Luke Hughes that's going to get paid, Dawson Mercer, you're going to have Jack Hughes, you're going to have a lot going on. I think the shorter term, um, it it protects you from a potential player who, you know, you might be paying shit. If it was an eight-year contract and he wanted eight times eight, then you might get stuck with a $8 million a year player who you notice hasn't shown up in the playoffs in the past five or six years. And that's a hard contract to move, to move um, once the rest of the league figures that out. So I think that the Jesper Bratt deal will get done in the next month. And I do. I like it at five years at six and a half or five years at seven million dollars. I think this is I think this evolving hockey projection is pretty on point. So um, you have to like what you see there. You get into Timo Meyer and um, and I've talked about it before. Timo Meyer became an instant favorite of mine. And I just think that there are so few players in the league at this point that can play the way that he does with the skill that he has. Um, the prototypical old-fashioned power forward who has hands and plays heavy, drives to the net, loves to shoot. We, we The Devils can't have enough shooters, in my opinion. He had 40 goals this season, um, 26 assists. It was, it, was, um, it was a real pleasure to watch somebody play the way that he did. And I know that he didn't score any goals in the Rangers series, but the, just the presence that he had in that entire series, he was just, um, he was the underlying vibe of, of the underlying factor in that entire series, in my opinion. I thought him and Heischer, who both 
weren't able to get on the scoreboard were the two players that really were the unsung heroes of the series and were crucial to the Devils winning their first playoff series in 11 years over their hated rivals nonetheless and you know and coming back from being down to nothing too I mean it was um Timo is a freak of nature he's 6'1 he's 220 pounds he is a big strong guy he's 26 years old and the Devils traded away a lot of capital for him so I mean a lot of prospects and um, draft picks and they didn't have a deal in place and that's was it was um, I was surprised by it but I thought that they would have had something settled and they just needed to like maybe cross the T's and dot the I's and you would see a contract come over sooner rather than later you know, we talked about Timo's exit interview and how it didn't sound like he was, he sounded like he was all business and rightfully so because he has to play his cards close to his chest as well. But in the end, I do believe that Timo Meyer and the Devils get this done and he's the most important piece of this team moving forward as far as free agents go. Um. There's just so few players in the NHL that play the type of game that he has, and he will have such an effect on this team and how far it goes in the playoffs and how close it gets to a championship or if they ever win a championship. I feel like Timo Meyer will be, I mean, it's going to be Nico Heischer. It's going to be Timo Meyer. You know, it's going to be our franchise defenseman and our goaltender. And I just, the Devils needed a player that plays this type of game so bad, and he fit right in with the team. I think the team loves him. And Evolving Hockey has him at eight years, $8.8 million. Now, in my previous podcast, I had said that I think that he's going to want $9 million. So this is only $200,000 off. I think that you're paying him it either way. Honestly, I think he has Tom Fitzgerald by the balls at this point. You traded away two first-round picks. Shakira Mukamadulin, who was a first-round pick. You traded away Fabian Zetterlin. You traded away Nikita Ohutuk. What are you going to do? You're not going to sign the guy? I think Paul Lemieux, his agent, obviously knows that. So he's in a position of power. But at the same time, I think Timo Meyer likes playing on the East Coast. I think he likes the, you know, he doesn't have to travel as much. Um the East Coast gets a lot more visibility because the whole country gets to watch their games. The West Coast, I mean, a lot of those players don't get a lot of views because their games start at 10 p.m. on the East Coast. So I think you get a lot more visibility. I think he sees the opportunity to win a Stanley Cup. And I think he's going to want eight years, $9 million. And I think the Devils are able to get it done. <coughs> so... Miles Wood, he had a very good season with the, um, he had a very good run with the Devils, but this season was obviously pretty brutal for him. Um, it's a shame because he was a heart and soul player. He played the game fast. He played it hard. He wanted to go out and be an enforcer when you needed him and, you know, could he was able to spur pucks and like have, you know, breakaways and stuff like that. But 
after this hip surgery, it really has taken a toll on him. He does not look like he is the player that he was. The Devils just don't have the cap room for him, period. Um, he was a bad fourth-line player. Somebody else is going to pick him up, and he's going to play, and I don't know, but it's not going to be the Devils. So at that point, I think you have to ter- seriously take a look at Nolan Foote. Nolan Foot only played in six games this year, so I'm not going to get ahead of myself. But in the six games that he played, I thought he played really well. While Miles Wood was scratched and in a crypto chat room, Foot scored a goal. And, um, you know, when you're 6'3", 196 pounds, and I think Foot was a first-round pick, it's like, and you have a hockey pedigree the way that the Foot family does. I think it. Um, I think you have to look, take a serious look at him, uh, and he's going to have that entry level contract as well. So, yeah. So he was the twenty seventh overall pick in two thousand nineteen by Tampa Bay. He was only twenty two years old, but he played in uh, six games this year. He had a goal. He was a plus two. So and he had four shots on net. So this is how I have it. I have either Holtz or Andre Pilat playing on the wing with Nico and Brat or Nico and Mercer. Then I have Timo, Jack, and either Brat or Mercer. And then on the third line, I have Pilat, Paula, and then either Brant Clark or Jesper Boquist, if Holtz is not ready for the to play with one of our stud centers, then you move Holtz down to the third line to play with Halla and Boquist or Clark. And then on the fourth line, you have Foot centered by Mike McLeod and Nate Bastion. You know, you look at you look at like Mike McLeod. And you look at Nate Bastion, and these are two guys who have really found themselves a role. They're two, obviously, very high draft picks as well. Um, Nate Bastion was picked 41st overall, second round, second round player. And we'll pull up what they're expecting his contract to look like. But um, his numbers, his underlying numbers look really good. He looks good. He could play on the penalty kill. He could play on the power. <clears throat> he could play on the power play, so they're expecting a two-year, one-point-eight million-dollar um, contract for him. I think you can get him probably a little cheaper. I would probably try to get him at one point four, one point three. I think in the last episode we had him around a million bucks, and I think that that's just not very realistic. Um, just because his underlyings do look good. And he's loved here. The team loves him. Everybody likes Nate Bastion. And when he went to Seattle, how happy were all the fans and the team to have him back? He loves being here. And the guy actually has skill for a big dude. So I could see Nate Bastion coming back and being a fourth-line winger. Last year, he played in 43 games, and he played hurt. He was hurt for most of the season, but he had six goals, nine assists, 15 points the previous year, 
He played in 72 games. He had 12 goals, six assists, and 18 points. I definitely, um, I definitely think that he's going to be back next year. I think that's a no-brainer. Then you get into Mike McLeod, and I think everybody's going to remember what he did in the playoffs. Michael McLeod. So he's 25 years old. He was the 12th overall pick. Let's see what they have him coming in at. $1.9 million over three years. I wouldn't be surprised if the Devils did a two-year deal with him. I'm fine with a three-year deal with him. But I think that you could get him cheaper. I think you might be able to get him a little cheaper based off of the Devils' handling of the drama that surrounds Michael McLeod. I think he's happy to be here. I think he's found himself a role in the team. He's obviously great in the face-off circle. But the truth is, you know, let's not get this playoff, you know, these 12 games in the playoffs and, and put them on a pedestal. He was very good, and it was really good to see. And I think that the simplicity of the game and just going north-south and forechecking and carrying the puck through the neutral zone and getting the puck out of your own zone, he was great. He was a great truck uh, puck transporter. There's no doubt about it. But he had four goals this year. Four, and he played in 80 games. So before we start breaking the bank on him, maybe give him a two-year deal. Let's just see what he has again, because in the past 157 games, he's got 10 goals. So let's not go nuts. You have Curtis Lazar, too, who's going to be fighting for a fourth-line role as well. So the Devils have some options. And like I said, this is a team that you're not building to make the playoffs anymore. You should expect to make the playoffs. And it's going to be hard. I'm not saying you're guaranteed. Look at the Colorado Avalanche this year. They made the playoffs, but it was a very difficult season. And anything could happen at any moment. Like you look at Gabriel Landeskog, the guy might not ever play again. And just because we're good this year doesn't mean that you have earned the right to make the playoffs next year. But what the Devils have going for them is we have a lot of players who are projecting and who are increasing in value and in production. And you look at some of these other teams, the Washington Capitals, the Pittsburgh Penguins, you know, the Philadelphia Flyers, some of these other teams in our division, they're in, they're in real trouble. And I think it comes down to Carolina, who's going to be hungry again, and they're going to be there. And it comes down to the Rangers, and they're going to be there, and the Islanders are going to be there. You know, one of the things that they released since the last time we talked was that the Devils are going to play in the stadium series versus the Flyers. And, you know, I was a little disappointed at first that they weren't playing the Rangers. But at the same time, like, it's kind of nice that you're not going to have, you know, 70% Ranger fans there. And you're going to have Devils fans are going to be able to turn out and make it a home game. And it's also nice that the Flyers kind of suck. You know what I mean? And like, we should be able to kick the shit out of the Flyers on 
national television. We should be able to party. You know, I grew up going to games in that parking lot. And um, it'll be awesome to have a tailgate there and get a fire going, get the grills going, smoke a cigar out there, have some beers. You know, we tried to do that at Newark this year, me and my brother. And, oh, my God, the uh, the parking attendant bugged, wigged out. We had the solo stove going. We were smoking cigars. It was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The game didn't start till 7 p.m. And, man, he was not happy. And I get it. He doesn't want us to blow any cars up or anything. But we were literally the only car in the parking lot. Um, but it'll be awesome. I mean, I just remember going to games at the Meadowlands and, you know, walking over walking over the the cattle herd, you know, walkway from Giant Stadium parking lot over to Brendan Byrne or Continental Airlines Arena, whatever you want to call it, hearing everybody moo and all the crazy stuff people were doing and uh, playing street hockey out in the parking lot and stuff like that. So that is going to be an amazing experience, and it's about time. The Devils deserve it. The last time they played, when they played the Rangers, I mean, our lineup was awful. That, that you know, we never stood a chance. So they got Brodor when he was like, you know, sixty years old, and so we're gonna have a really nice team to showcase uh, to the rest of the league, and it's gonna be really cool to party with everybody. Um, but yeah, I just figured we'd go over some of these. Uh, I feel we'd go over some of these free agents that we're gonna have coming up. It's an exciting time of the year. You know, McKean put out his prospect pool. The Devils have the number one prospect pool in the league. And he has Nemitz ranked at number two, which is two positions higher than Luke Hughes. And the stuff that they're saying about Nemitz is just really incredible. And if you watched him play in the um, world championship, this kid is just built for big-time hockey really is and I'm curious to see what he looks like when he plays with the big club during training camp and during the preseason and if he has an opportunity to to step in make an impact entry-level deal on the back end um, I think the Devils are going to have to make some moves honestly to try to maybe pick up a legit third liner um, without overpaying maybe a one-year deal to a guy who's been around for a while who has been consistently producing if you have to overpay for for one year just to so you know that you have somebody there um but the cap is going to start getting really tight for us so we have to be smart about how we manage our cap moving forward but these are all really good problems to have it's been uh it's been a long time coming and uh I'm looking forward to taking all these uh taking all this in with you guys but i'm gonna let you guys go i think i've uh talked long enough at this point um my name is bill botch and you've been listening to the trap podcast take it easy guys